Chapter 4 Thanksgiving Prayer Jamie opened the front door of the house and listened for George's nails on the hardwood floors. She hadn't left for work until after lunch, but had gone straight to Libby's afterwards. She knew he'd be more than ready to go outside. She flipped through the mail and set her bag and blazer on the entryway table, still chuckling at Libby's response when Rosemarie had asked her how she kept her daughters-in-law straight since they had such similar names. Well, Libby had said, I just remember that, except for being an Auburn fan, Melody is delightful. Melanie is not. Jamie looked around and realized George hadn't emerged yet. George, she called. George Jones, where are you, pal? She looked in the living room and kitchen, his usual dozing places, then went upstairs to her own room and the guest room. No luck. Surely he wouldn't have gone back to Daddy's room, she thought, trying to stay calm. She pushed open her father's door, but she didn't see him there either. She walked around the house again, calling his name, but didn't hear anything in response. Jamie took a deep breath and combed the house again, room by room, calling his name and promising a treat. She got to the laundry room in the back and saw the door ajar. Oh no, she murmured. She had taken a load of laundry to the clothesline before she'd left that morning, and she realized the door must not have fully closed behind her. She ran onto the back porch and yelled for him. George! George! Here, buddy! Her throat started to close as she ran through her backyard, then started through her next-door neighbors. It's already dark, she thought. How am I ever going to find him? George! She screamed. I've got a treat, pal! Come here! George! Jamie? She heard Webb call from the yard behind her. What's going on? Thank goodness you're here, she said, trying not to panic as she jogged toward him. It's George. I accidentally left the back door open and now he's gone. She couldn't hold back her tears any longer and fell into his shoulder. Webb, I can't lose him too. Not now. Please, help me find him, please. I've looked all over the house. He's not here. I can't. She continued to cry, her shoulders shaking, and he hugged her gently, rubbing her back. Okay, okay, just calm down. He probably smelled a squirrel and decided to have a little adventure. We'll find him, okay? Let me just grab a flashlight from the truck. Jamie continued to call for George as Webb ran back toward his house, calling his name as well. God, she prayed, please, please, I just can't lose him too. Please help us find him, please. Jamie, he's here. What? Where? Do you really answer prayers so quickly? She thought. In the garden, he called. She sprinted back toward Webb's garden, where George was at his heels. She sank into the ground, her knees pressing into the cold dirt, and wrapped her arms around George's neck. Oh, pal, you scared me to death. Where were you, buddy? He was right here snoozing, Webb said. Looks like he chowed down on some barley grass, so you'll want to keep an eye on his digestion for a couple of days. Jamie laughed through her tears and continued to rub her hands over her dog's short, smooth fur and smother him in kisses. And since he didn't come when you called, the old fella's probably getting hard of hearing. Just something to keep in mind. Happens to the best of us, Webb grinned. How can I ever thank you, she asked, standing and brushing the dirt off her knees. I would never have found him on my own. Well, I've actually been thinking about something, he said slowly, turning the flashlight over in his hands. How'd you like to train with me for a marathon? I was thinking about the Mercedes. It's every February in Birmingham. I'd give us plenty of time to build up to it. Have you run a marathon before? Yeah, a few, but it's been a while. I could use a running partner. I mean, I'm not really asking for finding George. You saying that just reminded me. 
I really was going to see if he wanted to do it before. He smiled a little shyly, and she thought how young he still looked. Have his eyes always been that dark brown? She thought, then swallowed hard. Um, yeah, of course, I'd like that. It'd be a good challenge. I mean, if you don't think I'll slow you down too much. He grinned again. Eh, you'll do fine. We'll start working on pacing and endurance. I have to warn you, though, I'm a lot tougher than Coach Noah was. That seems impossible, she said, but I'll give it my best shot. She reached out and took his arm, and she thought he stiffened a little. Seriously, though, tonight, I, I just can't thank you enough. After Daddy, I couldn't bear the thought of losing George so soon. She let her hand run down his arm and land in his hand. She squeezed it, and he squeezed hers in return. You're such a good friend, Webb. She wanted to say more, but she wasn't sure what. Was he just a good friend? She couldn't stop looking at his eyes, and something inside of her was starting to feel like there was something more than friendship. He smiled tightly, gave her hand one more squeeze, and let go. You too, Doc. He'll be fine. Just keep an eye on him and let me know if anything seems strange. I need to get home. See you in the morning. Well, that was a little abrupt, she thought, as he shot back to his truck. She glanced at his house, saw the upstairs light on, and wondered if Lacey was home. Maybe they had plans or something. And maybe he wouldn't even think about anything more than friendship with her. That's all it had ever been for both of them, right? She shivered. November in Alabama had always felt spookier to her even than October. It was cooler, and the leaves had started to abandon the trees. A breeze seemed to catch you from behind when you weren't expecting it, and the diminishing sunlight always cast strange shadows through town and out on the river. She glanced to the window and shivered again, then knelt beside George and gave him one more rub. Come on, scoundrel, let's go home. Webb tossed the flashlight back into his truck, grabbed his kit, and stormed into the house. He grabbed a sleeve of Ritz crackers, his late-night indulgence, and poured a big cup of water. Such a good friend, he muttered. And there it was, he thought, the obstacle he'd never been and never would be able to overcome with Jamie. Friendship, a friend, that's all he would ever be to her. He paced around the kitchen, taking deep breaths to calm down. He took a long drink of water and opened the crackers, pulling one out as he continued to pace. Why is she even here? Why doesn't she feel anything? Am I not... Dad? He heard a voice from upstairs. Lacey? Oh, Lacey. Good grief, what is the matter with me? He thought, his stomach queasy. Why am I even letting myself go down this road? She doesn't feel the same way she never has, she never could... And even if she did, I couldn't, not after everything with Taylor. So, I can't be with her, and that's that. Be right up, he called, forcing himself to be cheerful as he bounded up the stairs, crackers still in hand. Hey, he said, when he got to his daughter's room, a little breathless. Everything okay? Yeah, she replied, looking up from her laptop. She was sitting cross-legged on her bed, the flower-shaped desk lamp, the only light in the room. He smiled, remembering they'd bought it for her, then painted her room bubblegum pink right after her diagnosis. They gave her just about anything she wanted that year. Taylor finally drew the line after Lacey had requested a horse and Webb had immediately started checking on moving to a place with more land. You're pretty late tonight, Lacey continued. I was helping them out at the Inman farm with their new foal. Buttermilk's doing fine, so is her little guy. Took longer than I thought it would, though. I just thought I heard your truck a while ago, she said. What? Oh, yeah. When I pulled in, Jamie was looking for George Jones. He'd gotten out and she couldn't find him. She was all in a panic, but he was hiding out in the garden the whole time, eating barley grass. 
He half-heartedly chuckled and popped another cracker in his mouth. Indulging tonight? She asked, smiling. Always helps relieve the stress after a long day. Crazy, right? Nah. Mom always said Ritz crackers weren't such a bad vice to have, she said, her smile fading. It could be worse. They stared at each other for a moment. He nodded once, his jaw pulsing. She wasn't ever going to let him forget that night, as if he ever could. Yeah, I guess you're right, he finally replied, then sat on the edge of her bed, his leg bouncing. Hey, I've been meaning to ask, everything on track with your health lately? She rolled her eyes. What, he said, am I not allowed to ask? Just maybe not every day. Thought I'd been keeping it to once a week, he muttered, then tapped her on the head with a sleeve of crackers. It's fine, pump's fine, blood sugar's fine, eating more chicken than mac and cheese at the cafeteria. He smiled. That's all good to hear, he said. He leaned over and kissed her on the head, and she wrinkled her nose. I know, I smell like horses, he laughed. Gonna go grab a shower. See you in the morning? She nodded, and he headed into his room, glancing out the window to see Jamie's light on, then pulling his gaze away from it. Okay, God, he prayed. I know. I know I messed up with Taylor, so I can't expect anything more from Jamie. I'll just be your friend. I'll just do the right thing, and that's what I'll do, okay? He nodded sternly at himself in the mirror and turned on the shower. The Tuesday before Thanksgiving, Jamie's hands shook as she stood at her bedroom mirror, trying to fasten her hair into a twist. Come on, she muttered. You do this every day, Romans. Y'all ready? She heard Libby call from downstairs. Sighing, she shook her hair free, grabbed the black cashmere sweater hanging on her bedpost, and went downstairs. Libby and Amanda were already waiting at the front door. Her daughter's blue eyes matched her own, but she'd always thought Amanda's were more striking. Especially with her very short blonde hair, they seemed almost violet. They look puffy today, though, Jamie thought. I bet mine do, too. Jamie squeezed her hand, and she squeezed it back. You ready, little one? she asked. Amanda nodded and started to open the door. Hold on a minute, Libby said. What's happening here? She gestured at Jamie's hair. Oh, Mom, yeah, Amanda agreed, wincing. It's like it's half up and half down, but not in a normal way. She peered more closely. Are there bobby pins hanging out of the back? It is a bit of a bird's nest, sweet, Libby agreed. Jamie rolled her eyes, ran her hands over it, and started towards the door again. I'm sure it's fine, she said. Look, it's a hard day. I just couldn't get my hands to settle down enough to fix it right. Libby put an arm around her shoulders and walked her over to the mirror in the front hall. Libby, we don't have time, she started to protest. Hush, plenty of time, Libby said, turning Jamie to face the mirror. We postponed the funeral to make it closer to Thanksgiving break with no problem. Everybody can wait a few more minutes for us to get there. She gently pulled out the rogue bobby pins, and Jamie closed her eyes, enjoying the familiar feel of Libby's hands and her hair. She'd been there for everything from ballet recitals to a quick Sunday morning adjustment, and Jamie had forgotten how safe it always made her feel. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Libby sang as she deftly smoothed Jamie's hair back and twisted it neatly. Jamie let her shoulders sink out of her ears. Cheer up, my darling, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Libby pushed the pins back in and smoothed Jamie's hair once more. 
Jamie opened her eyes to see Libby looking over her shoulder in the mirror. There, just like when you went to prom. Didn't do so badly that time either, huh? Tears filled Jamie's eyes. How'd I get so lucky? She whispered. Which part? To have me hovering over you all your life or to get the privilege of raising that beautiful girl standing at the door? Both, Jamie said. I don't deserve either one of you. Well, thank God none of us get what we deserve, Libby said, walking back to the door and taking one of their hands in each of hers. Let's go, ladies. Lots of people want to honor James Romans, and he deserves a fine send-off. One of the best men I've ever known, and you can tell because he raised one of the best women. You had a pretty large part in that, too, you know, Jamie said. Libby winked at her. You made it easy, sweet. Webb tugged on his crimson tie and debated taking off his black suit coat. He ran his hands over his freshly cut hair, wincing as he shifted in the pew, his feet cramped into his least comfortable pair of shoes. James probably wouldn't have minded if I'd shown up in running shoes, he thought, smiling sadly. He'd actually briefly considered the idea before realizing his mother would never let him forget it if he arrived to a funeral in running shoes. Webb joined the rest of the congregation in standing as Jamie and Amanda came into the sanctuary, then filed into the front row. The Brocks filled the rest of the row in half of the second. Webb glanced over his shoulder. His mom's tightest two ladies and their husbands were a few pews back. The room sang Victory in Jesus, then the preacher climbed the steps to the stage. You can tell a lot about a man by the people he loved and the people that loved him, he said. James Romans loved well and was loved in return. Libby was on one side of Webb, Lacey on the other. His mom took Webb's left hand in both of hers, and Dale's arm stretched across her back and landed on Webb's shoulder. Webb glanced at him, giving him a small smile. Despite their differences, his father was a good man, and he'd never seemed bothered by his close relationship with James. He was probably just relieved I found someone else to talk to, Webb thought, chuckling, then fixing his face as his mother shot daggers at him. James was the kind of person who would step into people's lives when others would step away, the preacher continued, then began detailing the quiet works of service James did. Years of prayer, friendship, and other everyday ministries most people probably had no idea about, Webb thought. He lived a life that made us all want to be better people, he said. He didn't just believe in God, he lived his belief. Jamie, Amanda, we love you and all your family, and we are here for you. Three hours later, Webb was wishing he'd taken the chance on wearing running shoes as he stretched his long legs to the side of the pew. They felt as constrained as his feet. Webb and his family had spread around several of the rows in the back and were waiting for the long receiving line to end. Libby had insisted they all stay until the end and eat with Jamie and Amanda. The funeral itself had been as encouraging but exhausting as Southern funerals often are, especially ones for men like James, who'd given their entire lives in service to their community. He'd been an attorney for almost 50 years, a deacon in the church, a member of the city council a time or two, and the person anyone could call if they just needed wise advice. A good man, Webb thought again. He looked at Jamie and Amanda standing at the front of the church, the last few well-wishers making their way towards them. She looks tired, he thought. Maybe I should tell her we could skip running tomorrow. Nah, he argued with himself. It's good for her to get some exercise. That way I can gauge how she's doing with everything, too. Make sure she's okay. Hey, Webb, his sister-in-law, Melody, called quietly. Yeah, he responded, half his thoughts remaining on how much to push Jamie on the interval training that week. 
You and Lacey will be at the house on Thursday, right? I'm just trying to get a final count of how many we'll have for Thanksgiving. He nodded. Good deal, she said. We're already planning for Jamie and Amanda, too, and y'all always have a couple of extra cousins, or ten, who show up. She winked at him, and he smiled back. So, Jamie and Amanda are coming? He asked, finally processing what she'd said. Glad to hear that, I bet. His middle brother, Shane, weighed in, leaning over the pew in front of him. Oh, come on, Webb responded. You've got to stop with these little remarks. So I had a crush on her in high school, a hundred years ago. You were a big fan of Jennifer Inman, if I remember. You don't hear me bringing that up. Sounds like you just did, Shane responded. And Jennifer Inman and I don't hang out every dang day now like some people I know. What's that supposed to mean, Webb said. Hang it out. We run. So what? He glanced to the front of the church, then stood to tower over Shane. So people are talking, that's all, Shane replied, shrugging, then standing as well. Despite his shorter stature, he'd never been one to back down from a challenge, especially if it came from Webb. So what? Webb said again. You know we've always been friends. I don't even remember not knowing her. So she's like a sister to you then, Shane pushed, an arrogant smirk on his face that Webb wanted to wipe right off. Oh, well, I mean, I guess it was kind of like that when we were kids, he replied, glancing at Lacey in the pew in front of him. She'd been on her phone, but was now watching her father and uncle. But it's not really like that now. I mean, I never, um, you never, um, what? Shane mocked. And if it's not like that, then what is it like? Not like what it sounds like you're saying, Webb muttered, feeling himself reddening and glancing at Lacey again. Shane cackled at his younger brother's discomfort, and Webb rolled his eyes. Look, it's not anybody's business anyway, but we're just friends, so you could send anybody to me who needs to be set straight. That includes you. Oh, you think you can set me straight? Shane responded, closing the remaining gap between them. Just because you got an inch or two on me doesn't mean I still couldn't take you down, just like when we were kids. Boys, Libby hissed, quit being so ornery. This may be about over, but y'all are still in church. At a funeral, I might add. Now both of you, stop it and hush, or you can just go on home. Shane rolled his eyes at Webb, who considered shooting him a bird in return, but he knew that would get him sent home for sure. It's almost time to eat, Libby said, giving each of them another glare. Y'all head on downstairs and try to be civil to each other. I'll bring Jamie and Amanda in a few minutes. After that ordeal, I am almost ready to drop, Jamie thought. This is the reason your dad and I eloped, you know, she whispered to Amanda as the crowd finally began to dwindle. I mostly just wanted to avoid this kind of line. I haven't heard you mention dad in a while, she said, leaning into her mom. Oh yeah, Jamie said. I'm sorry, it's kind of tough to talk about him sometimes, and this all just kind of reminds me of when you, I mean, we lost him. So I was wondering, are you doing okay with everything? Yeah, I guess, Amanda replied, straightening. I mean, I'm really sad about Grandpa, and I feel like Dad being here would have helped. I miss him a lot, and he was cool with me being, you know, me. And having a person like that helps when you're in a place where not everyone knows. Jamie turned to the next couple in line. Thank you so much for coming, she said. As they told her about the time her dad wrote a letter of recommendation for their son's law school application, her mind wandered to the night before, when she and Amanda had stayed up late talking. Have you told anyone? Amanda had asked her. About me, I mean. Jamie shook her head. She hadn't shared with anyone in town, even Libby, that Amanda was a lesbian.
She wasn't ashamed of her daughter, but it also wasn't her story to tell, especially in an environment Jamie knew could potentially be hostile. As much as things had changed in Bradshaw over the years, she knew this was an issue that still divided people, especially at church, and she wanted to protect her daughter. Whenever you're ready to share this with more people here, I'll have your back, always. But that timing is up to you. You're almost grown, after all. I'll be 21 in six months, Amanda laughed. Will you admit I'm grown then? I refuse to answer on the grounds that I might incriminate myself. You sound like Grandpa, Amanda said. I still remember the first time I used that in my defense, Jamie said. I was about 10 years old, and who knows where I'd heard it. I was always hanging around his office or the courtroom, but I'd bought a bottle of nail polish, which he thought I was too young for, and in the attempt to hide it in my room, I spilled the entire thing on my beige carpet. I tried to cover it up, but he always found out stuff like that. So what happened? Amanda asked. He called me upstairs after dinner one night. Jamie girl, he said in that big voice of his, can you tell me why there's a giant hot pink stain on the carpet next to your bed? I thought a minute, then said, Daddy, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to refuse to answer on the grounds that I might crimson myself. Amanda burst out laughing. That's awesome. Did he let you off the hook? Well, almost, Jamie said. He laughed pretty hard too, made me clean it up, then told me to ask Libby the next time I wanted to buy nail polish. Which wasn't bad advice, actually. Libby's nails have been perfectly manicured as long as I can remember. Jamie pulled herself back to the present conversation, and as if reading her mind, Libby waved at Jamie from the back of the church, signaling it was time to go to the fellowship hall and eat. Jamie thanked the last couple again for coming, put her arm around Amanda, and said, Almost done with everything, little one. Hang in there. The next morning, Webb was surprised to see both Jamie and Amanda waiting at the end of the driveway. Is it okay if I bring a friend this morning, she called, as he jogged down the street in their direction. Of course, he replied. Hey, Amanda, we didn't get to talk much yesterday, but it's good to see you. It's been a long time. I'm happy to be here, she replied. Just wish Grandpa was too. He nodded. Me too. He and I were good friends. I'll have to fill you in on some classic James Roman stories sometime. And of course, I know all the dirt on your mom from when we were younger and prone to get in trouble. Amanda grinned as her mother flushed. No need to talk about that, Jamie said. I've been telling her about the downtown stuff. That's much more interesting than any mischief we might have made 30 years ago. Let's go that way. You've got it, Doc, Webb replied. I pretty much let your mom lead the way on these runs, he whispered loudly to Amanda. I've learned that's usually for the best in most areas of life, Amanda replied in a mock whisper as well. Hey, now I'm right here, Jamie said. As they ran, Jamie told Amanda about the history of the businesses that had come back downtown, filling her in on the ties some of them had created to the 1920s, keeping original features in the buildings whenever it was possible, and even some of the same names. Almost sounds like she likes it here, Webb thought. My students have been doing features on businesses in town all semester, she said. It's been fascinating to hear all these stories. They ran past James's law office and the city cafe. Webb calls this the gathering place of the old and the ornery, she said, winking at him. Can't get fried bologna like they make it anywhere else, though, he said. Or biscuits, she replied. As they ran down Cave Street, Jamie showed her daughter the old Ritz Theater and told her about the plans to restore it and show classic movies and films from the college's annual film competition. Amanda's a videographer, Jamie told Webb. I told you she's majoring in digital media and design at UConn. Her work is absolutely incredible. Mom, Amanda said self-consciously. 
Hey, let us brag, he replied. My daughter Lacey's a journalism major at the college here. I'm always showing off what she's writing. We spend half these runs just singing y'all's praises. Yeah, I saw her yesterday, Amanda replied. She seems really nice, and I think I remember her from when we were visiting when I was little. She'll be at Thanksgiving dinner, too, Webb said. Maybe y'all will get a chance to talk more then. Oh, yeah, you should, honey, Jamie weighed in. The two of you probably have a lot in common. Lacey really is an amazing writer. In fact, I was telling Tanner the other day he needs to assign her to something more challenging than the people on the street interviews he's been giving her for the paper. She can do a lot more than that. Webb's jaw clenched at the mention of Tanner Phillips. Jamie had mentioned him a few times now, and he couldn't help wondering if, despite her initial protests, they had something more than a work relationship. He knew it shouldn't bother him, but he didn't want her to end up with anyone who didn't deserve her. As they finished the run, and he waved goodbye to her and Amanda, he made a mental note to ask Lacey more about it when he had the chance. Jamie knocked on the front door of Melody Brock's house and tried to remember how long it had been since she'd actually been out there. Melody and Dale Jr. lived right on the Tennessee River, and next to Libby and Dale Sr. had the largest house of the group, so by default, they ended up hosting most of the family holidays. Hey, stranger, Melody said, throwing open the door. The strong smell of coffee drifted out to greet Jamie, and she remembered Melody always had a pot going. Hey, Mel, it's so good to see you. You remember my daughter, Amanda. Jamie hugged her old friend. Even though they hadn't known each other growing up, she and Melody had clicked right away at one of the Brock family get-togethers one year, and they'd stayed in touch via email afterwards. It's so good to see you, Amanda. It's been ages, Melody said, ushering them both inside. Just glad to see you in person. Jamie, how have you been back for this long and we haven't had lunch? I know, Jamie replied. Work has been so busy. Life must be crazy for you, too, with work and the boys. Let's make a plan for when the semester's over, though. It's a deal, Melody replied. They walked into her sprawling living room, and, as usual, with a Brock gathering, there were people scattered everywhere. Melody's husband, Dale Jr., and their three sons, Libby and Dale Sr., their middle son, Shane, and his family, Melody's sister, Carol, her husband, Charlie, and their children, Cal and AJ, and, of course, Webb and Lacey. Everyone called out greetings, and Jamie laughed inwardly, remembering how she was always amazed at the family's ability to take these huge gatherings in stride. When she was younger, she and her father had tagged along more times than she could count, and she'd found the numbers more fascinating than overwhelming. There was always an assortment of aunts, uncles, and cousins throughout the house. The family members were constantly teasing each other, but their affection was also undeniable. It was so much louder than her own house, and she'd been endlessly intrigued by the dynamics of their large family. Want some coffee? Melody asked. Lunch is almost ready. Sure, Jamie replied. Amanda went into the living room to talk with Lacey as she and Melody headed to the kitchen. Is there anything I can do to help? No, we've got it all covered, right, Libby? Melody said as her mother-in-law joined them, Webb close behind. That's right, darling, Libby responded. I just hope you brought your appetite. We've got a big old pile of meat this year. Dale Brock smoked the deer himself, Melody said as she handed Jamie a cup. He's gotten to where he hunts it and cooks it, and that suits me just fine. All I have to do then is the potatoes and green beans. We went ahead and got barbecue, too, Libby said. Wouldn't feel like Thanksgiving without at least a taste of Archibald's. Jamie pursed her lips and glanced at Webb. You hadn't told him? He chimed in. Jamie shook her head at him, grinning. What? Libby asked. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I just don't eat meat anymore, Jamie said. Libby's eyes widened. You don't eat meat? Oh, my. She paused. Then 
what in the world are you going to eat? Your peanut butter pie, Jamie responded. You know that's the main reason I came. Well, no wonder you've gotten so skinny, Libby said. If that's all you're having, I'm going to make you have two pieces. That sounds fine to me, Jamie said. Webb and I will just run it off tomorrow, right? She winked at him, and Libby and Melody exchanged glances. You bet, he replied, pouring himself a cup of coffee and coming to stand beside her. Gotta get ready for that marathon. Speaking of skinny, though, she pointed her thumb toward him. Oh, you know he's always been like that, Libby responded. William Edward Baldwin Brock. His daddy took one look at him when he was born and said, that's too big a name for such a scrawny baby. Let's just call him Webb. It stuck, and he's been pretty scrawny ever since. Keeps me fast, though, he said, right? He's as fast as he always was, Jamie said. I can barely keep up with him. Oh, you hold your own pretty well, he replied, nudging her with his elbow. She rolled her eyes and shook her head, unable to contain a smile. Libby and Melody looked at each other again, and Jamie frowned. Surely they don't think anything's going on, she thought. They know Webb and I have always been friends. Well, Melody said, I did make one or two things more than potatoes and green beans, so I think you'll have plenty. Let's go ahead and get started. Well, will you go ask everybody what they want to drink? An hour later, Jamie poured another cup of coffee and helped herself to a generous piece of Libby's famous peanut butter pie. The rest of the adults were still sitting around Melody's massive dinner table in various states of being full. No one seemed to want to move. Anyone else want coffee? She called from the counter. Most of the table groaned. Oh, I do, Carol called in return. Have you ever turned it down? Her husband, Charlie, teased. Not that I can recall, she said, leaning into his shoulder. You need cream? Jamie asked. No, black is fine, she responded. Thank you. Now, how did y'all meet? Jamie asked, walking to the table and setting a cup of coffee in front of her, then going back to the kitchen to retrieve her own. She remembered hearing Carol's first husband had died a few years back, and Charlie appeared to be several years older than Carol. She couldn't help being curious. At church, Carol replied, Charlie was teaching my son's class and he swept me off my feet. Huh, Charlie said. I remember it the other way around. Weren't you the one who asked me out first? That's actually a pretty sweet story, Melody said. Is it? He asked, his eyes remaining on his wife. I thought we just met, fell in love, and decided to build a life together. Nothing out of the ordinary. Lacey came into the room, carrying their baby daughter, AJ. Um, I think she has a diaper issue. Lacey said, wrinkling her nose and extending the baby in the direction of her parents. Charlie stood and took her from Lacey, then tossed her gently in the air. The baby squealed with delight. He pulled her close, kissed the top of her head with curls that looked like miniature versions of her mother's, and wrinkled his own nose. Yep, that's an issue, all right, he said. Want me to change her? Carol asked. No, I've got it, he said, squeezing her shoulder as he headed out of the room. Enjoy your coffee. Jamie smiled as she watched their easy interactions. It was sweet to see two people so clearly in love. Webb stood, poured his own cup of coffee, and joined her at the counter, his arm barely grazing hers. Despite Libby and Melody's expressions earlier, she knew nothing was really going on between her and Webb. They were just friends. Good friends. Maybe even best friends, she thought, as her heart inexplicably sped up a bit. Can't top Melody and Dale's, though, he said. How did y'all meet Mel? Jamie asked. I don't think I've heard this. The whole table started laughing, and Melody shook her head. Have you not? Okay, well, I needed to have something framed for the library, and I lived on this side of the river at the time, so I was heading across to this little shop in Bradshaw I'd heard good things about. 
I was driving across Wilson Dam, going a reasonable speed, mind you, when this motorcycle came flying around me, passed me right on the dam. I couldn't believe it. Dale Jr. grinned. It shook me up so much, but I finally got there. And when I did, this burly, bearded guy comes in from the back, all disheveled, holding a helmet with a skull and crossbones on it, if you can imagine, and apologizing about how he was later getting back than usual because some person driving as slow as Christmas on the dam had built up a line of traffic behind them, he interrupted. I told this stranger I finally just had to take a chance and go right around them or I'd never get back. Miss Melody's mouth fell open, and I said, that was you? Are you crazy? Melody finished. He threw his head back and laughed. Here we are, more than 20 years later, she said, and I still won't get on a motorcycle with this maniac. The rest of the group laughed with them. Okay, that is a good story, Jamie responded. The rest of the table continued to talk as Libby stood and poured her own cup of coffee. You know, I don't think I've ever told you, but my earliest memory is being at your house. Webb said quietly. After my mom died, Jamie asked. He nodded. That's mine too, she said, as their eyes held for a moment. Definitely best friends, she thought, duck bumps breaking out on her arms. And he really is standing awfully close. She wrapped her hands around the warm cup, letting the heat soak into her hands. Her phone buzzed and she put her cup on the counter before pulling it out of her pocket. Oh, that's Tanner again. He's been trying to pin me down on whether I'll stay on after this year. Stay on, Webb asked. Are you? The phone buzzed again, and she smiled apologetically. I'm sorry, he's persistent. I really should take this. Webb watched Jamie walk out the front door as she answered the call. What are you doing pestering me on Thanksgiving? He heard her say as the door closed behind her. Hey, Lace, he called. His daughter came over from the table. How well do you know this Tanner guy? Dr. Phillips? Not that well. He sponsors the student newspaper, so sometimes he'll give me assignments. He's the head of the department, too. Everybody loves him, but he's one of those guys who knows it. A lot of the girls on the paper think he's cute. She wrinkled her nose in distaste, and he felt a low throbbing in the back of his head. Huh, he responded. He was glad his daughter saw through him, but he wondered if Jamie did, too. He was about to ask if she knew whether they'd been seeing each other when Lacey's phone buzzed. Sorry, Dad, she said, glancing down, then grinning. Oh, I want to show this to Amanda. Okay, he replied. Hey, I'm glad y'all are getting to be friends. She smiled and started to say something, then just nodded and went to the other room. He took another sip of coffee and wondered how he could find out more about Tanner Phillips, or at least steer Jamie in another direction. It's perfectly fine if she's seeing him, you know, Libby said quietly. He hadn't realized his mother had been behind him in the kitchen. I don't know what you mean, he said. Oh, I think you do. I'm just looking out for her. Are you now? She asked. If you've got something to say, Mama, just say it. Okay, I will then. It's perfectly fine for her to be seeing him. What I want to know is if it's perfectly fine for her to be seeing you. That's not what's happening, he said. We just run, that's all. Is it? When the two of you are together, it sure doesn't seem like that's all that's going on. That's all that's going on, he said firmly, then lowered his voice to a whisper. After Taylor, I just, I can't. I can't let myself see anybody, especially her. I don't think I'll ever be able to. He trailed off as Libby sighed and hugged him. I'm just looking out for you, baby, because you haven't seemed ready, and that's fine, but I see how you look at her. Don't start something you can't handle if you're really not ready. I don't want your heart to end up being hurt. 
I don't know what you mean, he repeated as Jamie came back into the kitchen. Her dark yellow blouse was knotted temptingly at the top. She had on those dang black pants again. His heart sped up and he took a long breath to slow it down and keep his cool in front of his mother. We should go, she said. He wants to meet up tonight and go over an idea he has for the spring to incorporate local podcasting into the class. The man never stops working. She rolled her eyes, and Webb found himself disappointed she was leaving so early, especially if it meant she was meeting Tanner. Tanner. He even hated the way the name sounded in his head. Amanda and Lacey walked in from the living room. You ready, honey? Jamie asked. I've got some work stuff I need to do. The two girls exchanged glances. Actually, Mom, Lacey's going to bring me to Grandpa's later, if that's okay. Of course, Jamie replied. See you later, then. At least take some pie with you, Libby interjected. Oh, no, I'm good, Jamie replied. It was all wonderful as always, though. Jamie hugged her. I'll see you soon, she told Libby. And I'll see you tomorrow morning, scrawny. She elbowed Webb gently in the ribs, and it felt like his entire chest was on fire. Melody, she called. Thank you again for having us. Let's be sure to have that lunch. Everyone waved goodbye as she headed out the door, and Webb stood, frozen to the spot, thinking his mother might not know it, but it was too late for his heart.